I know I'm dressed fancy today, but my daughter got me this outfit. She got me this um, jacket. Don't you all want it? Isn't it pretty? And I got on the elevator this morning in the hotel with four other people. And they were all young, youngish people, like in their 20-somethings. And they look at me like... And they were kind of uh, still waking up, going down to breakfast. And I said, my daughter got me this. <laughs> and it's Mother's Day. And the little girl beside me said, don't apologize. Mothers can be as fancy as they want. <laughs> so, I promise to change before I get on the airplane, but... Um, I have a little uh, grandson. In fact, I have seven grandchildren, and I could spend the day telling you about all of them, and it would take me all day, so I'll just pick one. How's that? And this little guy, his name is Liam. And do you have a picture of Liam? He thinks he's Spider-Man. Don't tell him. He, it's okay. He thinks he's here to rescue all the downtrodden, and that's good. But um, he loves this game called Candyland. Anybody played it? Yeah, okay. And Candyland is it's a game that has this little path, and you, and you pick a little colored mover. I'm always yellow. That's my favorite color, and all the kids pick their favorite color. And we line them all up at the beginning. And you know this game is a series of candy and rainbows and chocolate slides and things. And you pick up a card, and it'll have a little uh, square, a color that you know, may or may not match your, your mover. And you move to the next square that is that color. Well, sometimes in that move, then you, you have accidents. Like, you might not get a card that has a square. You might ha get a card that has an ice cream cone or a lollipop or sometimes licorice, which no kid likes. So that makes you have to go back six steps. Or maybe you'll get a rainbow slide and you get to go ahead and miss a whole chunk of the journey. Uh, so we were playing, Liam and I were playing Candyland. And, um, you know, sometimes you get, you get stuck and you have to lose a turn and all this stuff. And so we're getting ready to play, and we got the little cards, and Liam is over there, and he is uh, rearranging the cards. And I said, what are you doing? He said, sometimes I cheat. And he said that as he was putting the gingerbread boy and the ice cream card near the top of the pile. I said, oh, I don't think you want to do that. It's not the point of this game. He said, it's not? Why? And as you saw, he's all eyes. He's got these enormous eyes. He's looking at me. Why? And I said, well, you know, Liam, there are two kinds of games in life. One kind, like basketball, math games, swim meets, tennis matches, you can get good at by practicing and showing up for practice and learning the skill and doing your workouts. And as you get stronger and stronger, you get better and better at those games. The other kind, though, 
is a game you can't get good at. It just depends on the card you draw. Mia, this was at the time his little three-year-old sister, I said, she can win this game as, as easily as you can. It just depends on what card she gets. And he got that part. But I said, the point of this game is to enjoy the surprises you have and have fun with the people that you're playing with. That's the whole point of this game. You're doing all this stuff together. And he looked at me like, oh, I never thought of that. And sadly, so have most adults never thought of that. In both games, I said to Liam, the point is to play with joy and enjoy the process and never quit until the game is finished. So I thought that would be a good thing to talk about this morning as I have been e texting all my kids back and forth all morning and they sent me the things their kids said to them. And you grandmas know that there is no joy quite like enjoying the next generation. Watching your parents parent is the greatest joy of all. And if the kids are saying to the kids you raised, mom, you taught me life. There is no feeling like that, that you taught it well enough to make it to another generation. So it has been such a joyful morning. And whoever did the slide thing, that is beautiful. And it, it, is, it chokes me up, the honor of being a mother. This necklace I wore, by the way, you, you music guys will like this. This music sings because it's made out of piano strings. And on these strings, countless tunes have been played until they were worn out. So I'm wearing my song around my neck this morning. But there are two kinds of games. Let's talk about the ones you can practice and get better at. And the scripture is full of them. I'm not going to read all these scriptures, but you'll recognize them as they go by. One is hospitality. The scripture says we can practice hospitality. When I was a very young mother, I was scared to death somebody would come to my door because there were toys all over the floor and I hadn't taken out, at that time we had diapers. Can you remember diapers? <laughs> and you had to put them in a diaper pail and then you had to wash them all and you could disinfect them and you know, blah, blah, blah. So I hadn't mentioned, maybe I haven't dumped the diaper pail yet, or the, you know, the cookie crumbs are still all over the kitchen table, and I thought if somebody rings the doorbell, you know, they're going to think I live in a disaster. And I read a book by Karen Maines on hospitality. It changed my life. She basically said, it's not about your kitchen floor. It's about the people at your door. And I decided that I didn't have to be a perfect anything, mother, wife, housekeeper, verbalizer, whatever. I just had to love on the people that came to my door. And let me tell you something, girls, you can do that with a coffee pot. That's all you need. So I just plug in the coffee when the doorbell rings and just whatever is there happens, happens. 
That changed my life. Practicing hospitality is making people know that you aren't sad they're there. You're not frustrated you're there. You're tickled to death. You can practice hospitality. You can also practice forgiveness. It says, the Bible says, forgive each other as quickly as, and as completely as Christ has forgiven you. Well, now I, are you as frustrated about the political scene as I am? We have these two extremes and they both hate each other. And I don't know which one you're on, but I'm just going to say to both of you, get over it. It is not about what you think about anything. It is about can we be a country? Can we be a church? Can we be a family? And that's always in the middle because you get to the middle by actually seeing where somebody else is coming from. And as long as you stay ignorant about where they're coming from, you can have really strong opinions. But if you get out there and get involved with either one of them, you suddenly begin to get it and know that there are no easy answers, not yours and not theirs, that somehow we have to embrace. The principles of Christ work in the government and in the country and in the world. And if we can't get along in the living room, how in the world do you think we're going to get along in the world? Practice forgiveness. Generosity. That's not a fundraising term. It's a way to live, and it takes practice. I loved um, the movie, Pay It Forward. Do you remember that movie? I just love the idea of doing kind things for people when they don't even know you're going to do them, and they have no way to thank you. I drove into McDonald's one day, and I went to pay for my coffee, and uh, I think I had an egg muffin, egg McMuffin, or egg whatever that is they have. And um, I started to pay for it, and they said, the, the car in front of you paid your bill. I had no idea who it was. I still to this day do not know. But I'm telling you, aren't I? I remember it. And it was a puzzle to me and a reminder to me do kindness first, not as a result of somebody being nice and lovable. Do it on purpose, aggressively, ahead of time. Generosity is a way to live. It's not like, okay, we're going to have our fundraiser at church and we've got to make sure we give our 10%. By the way, 10% is not nearly enough for most Americans. We are rich. The poorest person here is rich by world standards. And all I'm going to say about your giving, I mean, to the church, but in every way of your life, if your standard of living is not lowered compared to other people who make what you make, you're not giving enough. It needs to be lowered by your giving. Otherwise, you don't even miss it, do you? That is true with our time, our efforts. And I think that goes right into another, another thing we can practice in this game of life is kindness. Where has kindness gone? 
We are just living in the rudest, ugliest society and world at this point. Um, no wonder that government subsidized the arts at one point because we can't live without that extra. I know there are days, and you were talking about the flower you used to give, but I know from being a wife and a mother that there are days I need a rose more than I need a loaf of bread. We can't live without beauty. We have a hunger for beauty. And, and one of the reasons I have a little store at home, and Angie, who's with me today, um, runs that store. One of the gifts I want to give in that store is beauty. I don't want a bunch of manufactured junk. I call it Jesus junk. And I don't call my store a Christian bookstore because I don't like Jesus junk. I don't like any kind of junk. I mean, I get material indigestion walking through Walmart. <laughs> what I really want to see is something somebody created and put together intentionally. I want to walk through a place and get an idea of how I can go home and make my common stuff at home. You know, a piece of birch bark, some... Um, milkweed pods from the creek side, some bittersweet woven across the mantle. I want somebody to tell me, how can I take the common stuff of my life and make beauty for my family and for me? It's the air we breathe. It's what the Holy Spirit is to our lives. I love that song we just sang, by the way, because as I said last night, you can't get away from your God. Psalm 39 says, if you go to the top of the skies, he is there. If you go to the pits of hell, he is there. If you ride, ride the winds, the morning winds to the farthest ocean, he is there. It is because in him we live and move and have our being. And one of the things we should be breathing out in, in our praise is beauty. To give the world some beauty. And that is done by kindness, being gentle, encouraging um, noticing what needs to be done. Don't you hate it that if you have to tell everybody in the house, I mean, mothers really hate this. This needs to be done. This is your chore. You go do that. What you want to get your kids to is where they see what needs to be done. And they love you enough to just do it. And moms, if they do, if you got a kid who actually does that, notice it. And reinforce it. Don't think it just comes with the kid. It works on both sides. And neither do I think you need an allowance for making your bed. Duh. <laughs> um, here are some kindnesses. I just say kindness, and you think I mean being nice, right? I'm not a big fan of nice. I think nice is overrated. I think goodness is much better. Being nice doesn't have anything to do with your basic spirit and attitude. It's something you can put on. But let me tell you some kindnesses that we can practice. Don't drive like a bully. Now I'll let you think about that a minute. And figure out what that is. But you know what it is. Where you always take the little inch to get in front of the next guy, when you always pull out of, you know, first, where you always push the light change, 
Don't drive like a bully. Pray. I don't understand prayer. I'm not going to come here and tell you a sermon about if you pray this certain way and you thank God ahead of time and you flood him with praise and he gets enough, you know, goodies coming from you, then he'll be obligated to pay you back some. I don't even believe in that kind of prayer. I believe in prayer. But all I'm going to say to you about prayer is just do it. I don't know why God invited us to talk to him. This if your God is that small, you don't get prayer. God is way more cosmic than you ever imagined, huger than you can imagine. If you're following science and, and quantum physics right now, you know that the cosmoses are beyond cosmoses, beyond cosmoses. Is, maybe that's not the plural. Is it cosme? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> is grander and huger than you ever dreamed. And yet, I don't understand why this amazing cosmic God come, wanted to come in a little human zygote, which is the union of a male and female sex cell. There were only a human female and the God himself uniting so that he could walk among us and show us what we had wrong about God. And he isn't the big bearded guy in the sky waiting to get you find you doing something wrong. And he never said, wait until your dad gets home. <laughs> this is the breath of love. It always was. It didn't change. The law was only given to us to keep us from self-destructing until the glory could return. And no wonder on that hillside in Judea, the angels sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. What is glory? It is that eternity that is in every moment we are living. It is in this moment. And he came to bring back the glory that had departed when God rode Ichabod over the doorposts of the world. And he promised Eden will return. I will not give up on you until I have you back. His intention is to bring us back to our Eden condition where it was all relationship, male and female, walking with God in the cool of the evening, tickled to death to see each other, knowing that the very breath we breathe, the lungs we inhale with, are his gift to us so that we can blow out beauty and glory onto the world. Amazing. But this great God said, you can talk to me anytime, any place. It was no accident when, when Jesus said, it is finished, that the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom and the Holy of Holies was laid open for you and me to walk in anytime, night or day, pain or sorrow, joy, all of it. God is in it. He is the breath we breathe. And he is here to let us experience the glory, the joy, so pray. He asked us to. Wow, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I'm going to do it. Bless your enemies. If you're going to be kind and you're going to pay it forward and you're going to be generous, don't just be generous and kind and loving to nice people. The Bible says you get no credit for that. Everybody loves the lovable. God's invitation to us is because we are so blessed. We can love the nasty. We can love the people who are not lovable. And sometimes you live with them, don't you? 
And on a given day, we all live with them. And on a given day, we are them. As Mark said, Lowry said, if somebody doesn't spring into your mind, you've never gone vacation with your relatives. But bless your enemies. That is not easy to do. It is only possible through the Holy Spirit. It is not a human thing. It is transhuman. It's beyond human. Feed the hungry. I know when you look at the world, you think it's too big. I can't give... I can't give water to the thirsty. I can't feed the hungry. It was a command. Jesus said, I'll know that you are my disciples if you take care of the widows and orphans and feed the hungry and help the poor. He really identified with the poor. So if you don't identify with the poor, you don't have a big enough dose of Jesus. But really interesting, you look at the world and you say, how could I possibly make a difference? Let the government do it. Let me tell you something. Government could spend 100% of its income, and it wouldn't make a dent in it. And you say, well, how can I do it and make a dent in it? Because, listen, and listen to this. You, doing what God said right where you are, makes a bigger difference. I'll tell you why. A cup of water given in Jesus' name is wetter. And... Food given to the hungry that you know about. And that means all kinds of hungers. I'm not just talking about groceries, although it doesn't hurt any of us to get $400 worth of groceries once in a while and just take them to somebody and leave them on the doorpost and ring the doorbell. You know it and I know it. We can do it. The difference is when we do it in Jesus' name, the arm that unloaded the groceries comes with the groceries. And it isn't just a one-time shot. It means I am pledging to be involved in your life long-term. And here's my definition of love, if I read the scriptures correctly. Love is putting yourself out for somebody else. And that means your little child. It goes all the way from people you really love in your household, your husband, your wife, your children, your relatives, your mother, your father, the neighbors. If it doesn't put you out, it's too easy. It's not love. That's why people resent charity. Charity doesn't bring you with it. It lets you off the hook. Pay your debts. It says a lot about Christ if we don't owe anybody anything and we live within our income, whatever that is. I don't care where you are on that scale. And I have to go back <coughs> to we are so blessed that even the smallest income person here in this room, you can give somebody some turnips out of your garden, right? You can give them a, make an extra loaf of bread, make an extra batch of cookies. I mean, there is something you can give. There's always more than enough. And God will make sure there's more than enough if you live like that. I love the story of um, the prophet who asked the woman who ha was using her very last dip 
of flour to make some little cakes for her starving son and her. That was the end of their food. They were this was the last of their food, and then they were going to die. They were going to make this last little cake and die. And the prophet said, I want you to make it for me. And she went in and said, I've just got enough flour and enough oil for this one little pancake. But she did it. She gave it to him. And when she went in to double check the, the um, cupboard, she found that there was enough for another cake. And this went on and on and on and on. I promise you, God will not let you. The, he's, it, the scripture says, I've never seen the children of God go begging for bread. And if we really live like Christ asked us to, the people in our body will not go begging for bread. Be a good citizen. <clears throat> and that gets harder and harder as the government gets more and more something we can't sign on for. But I have to take the example of Jesus when they ask him, do you pay your taxes? And he said, hand me a coin. They handed him a coin. Now, this was the ruthless Roman Empire, the most horrible government that we probably have ever had, most ruthless. He said, whose picture is on this? They said, Caesar's. He said, okay, give Caesar what's Caesar's. Give God what's God's. Make sure you have a reservoir of wealth that is not in money or property or anything else that is a wealth of the spirit there'll be always enough. Well, and then there's this other game. Taking the cards you are dealt. This game is the game of relationship. This is body life. We're playing this game in life. These are not just things we can practice. We're playing this game because we're connected to each other. Everything is connected in the body of Christ. Everything. If you think your kneecap isn't important, fall and crush it. But no kneecap is going to walk around saying, oh, I'm the kneecap. Who needs you? But we are both so important we can't even understand how important. And so much a part of something else that we can't even have a concept of that. I'm just saying to you, God is calling you to be you. You're called to be you. There is no other you. There is no better you. There is no other new you ever created. Be you. It'll mess things up if you don't. And don't try to be him or her. It is body life. We belong to each other. And in this body life, we, are drawn, we draw cards sometimes that set us back. Make us go back, one, two, maybe clear to the beginning and start over. But we don't do it alone. We're eating popcorn and we're drinking Cokes and we're having fun and we're joking with each other and we are helping each other take that lightly as much as setbacks can be taken lightly. They're taken lightly because you're not doing it alone. We've got this game going on, but this game is a tiny little piece of this relationship. The relationship is bigger. 
So when egos get out of line, I think we need egos to be us, but those need, egos need to be sanctified to the body. Um, enjoy the serendipitous blessing of the moment. If you get a, a card that makes you go ahead a few steps, celebrate with each other. And I'll tell you what, the scripture that says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, I think we're a lot better with weeping with, at weeping with those who weep than rejoicing with those who rejoice. Am I right? We can always feel sorry for somebody who's going through a hard time. But let somebody win and win big. We're not as happy to go to that party. But let's be. Let's be genuinely to the bone, excited for every win. Endure the setbacks without bitterness. That root of bitterness, oh, it can eat your life, eat your lunch, eat your joy, eat your future. Know that on this earth, it's just a game. But don't miss something eternal. Trying to get the advantage in a material, temporal gain. I mean, I wouldn't ever think of forfeiting Liam for winning Candyland. But we do it all the time. Pay attention to the relationship Live with, this is an old mentor of mine who are in, in her 90s and she can still run me in the ground. She said, I have discovered that God wants me to live my life with expectancy every morning. Get up with expectancy, not expectations. If you live with expectations, you will always be disappointed. But if you live with expectancy, it's saying to God every morning, I can't wait to see how you're going to interrupt my plan today. And every day will be a joyful surprise. Live with expectancy. And I love this wonderful uh, verse in Matthew, and I love the way um, that it is uh, stated in the in message. And let me read it. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll, live, you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's why we're playing Candyland. We're playing Candyland to build this relationship. And find the joy in Liam and Mia and Will and Jess and Bill and all the beautiful people like you that God has put in my life. That's why I'm playing the game. And if I come here and tell you, as you have told me in the hallway, I just lost somebody so dear to me, I don't think I can breathe. You're not doing that alone, and I am here to help you get that in perspective and recover your joy. And in the meantime, I love this. I will be praying for you. Now, I wrote a song called I'm Praying for You, and it is not the, what you think, like, oh, yes, I'll pray for you in our Bible study. I'll pray for you. No, it's I'll pray for you. While you cannot even talk to God, so you are in such a place of doubt and dark that you can't even pray 
don't sweat it. I'm going to be doing your praying. Don't worry about even talking to God. You're at a place right now where you don't know what to say to him. But I am praying for you instead of you. The day will come when the words will come back and you'll get some perspective and you can pray again for yourself. But that's what the body is for. I can't expect you to be come in here and say, I just buried my husband, but praise God, I've got glory in my heart. No, you're going to be mad at God for a good few weeks here, maybe years. And you're not going to understand. And you're going to ask him why. And you're going to say, after I served you all these years, why, why, why? Get that if you're in the body of Christ. Let that person go through the process loved, enfolded. And in the meantime, you do their praying. You pray for their kids. You pray for the, the people that are on their heart. You pay, pray for their budget and help supply, supply it if you need to. Just do more than pray. But eventually, the clouds will clear and they'll be able to do their own praying. I don't know about you, but I love this day, not because people say to me, oh, you're just a great mother, and my kids have this morning. This has been beautiful, and I appreciate it. But more than anything, what I am loving today as a mother is three generations of relationship that is so precious to me. And all of these generations of relationships, I wish you could know my mother. I am her. You know, you look in the mirror one day and you say, good grief, I'm your, my mother. <laughs> but I am grateful every day for the things my mother taught me that I have taught my children and they are teaching their children and the beauty of that continuity. Today is about family and I'm glad it's Mother's Day and pretty soon it's going to be Father's Day and you should notice and say thank you to those people in your life. But more than that, the body of Christ is just precious. Is it not just precious? To be privileged to bear one another's burdens, to celebrate and party with each other when good things happen, and to know that all of it is the blend of this game we can practice and this game we can't. I hope you get to see your kids today. I'm not going to see mine. But I want to read you this in closing. It's from my friend Bob Benson, who had five kids. Nearly a week ago, Peg and I had a very hard week. Wednesday night, Mike slept upstairs in his room where children belong, and we slept upstairs in ours where moms and dads belong. Thursday night, we were 350 miles away, and he was in Ramada 235, and we were in 236 in connecting rooms, and we left the door open and talked and laughed together. Friday night, 700 miles from home, he was in 247, and we were in 239, but it was just down the balcony, and somehow we seemed together. Saturday night, he was in the freshman dorm, and we were still in 239. Sunday night, we were home, and he was 700 miles away in Chapman 309. 
Now, we have been through this before. Robert had gone away to college, and we had gathered ourselves together until we had gotten over it, mainly because he is married now, and he only lives 10 miles away and comes to visit often. So we thought we knew how to handle separation pretty well. But we came away so lonely and blue. Oh, our hearts are filled with pride at the fine young man, and, and our minds are filled with memories from tricycles to commencements. But deep down inside somewhere, we just ached with loneliness and pain. Somebody said, you still have four kids at home. Four fine kids, and there is still plenty of noise, plenty of ball games to go to, plenty of responsibilities, plenty of laughter, plenty of everything, except Mike. And in parental math, five minus one just doesn't equal plenty. And I was thinking about God, and he surely has plenty of children, plenty of artists, plenty of singers, and carpenters, and candlestick makers, and preachers. Plenty of everybody, except you. And all of them together can never take your place. And there will always be an empty spot in his heart and a vacant chair at his table when you're not home. And if once in a while, it seems as if he's crowding you a bit, try to forgive him. It may be one of those nights when he misses you so much, he can hardly stand it. When my kids started leaving for college, Suzanne was the first. And it didn't matter that she was really not in her little green and white bedroom. I still sat Five places at the table. I just did it from habit. Five placemats, five, five forks, spoons, knives, plates, glasses. And it wasn't until everybody came pounding into the table that I realized there was an empty place. And although I've gotten better at math and counting, I haven't gotten used to the fact that it's just Bill and me at this big oak table. And I'm never really happy until everybody's home. I don't know what kind of God you were taught. If you were taught an angry God who keeps track and can't wait to send you to hell, fire that God. Because it's not the God that God, Jesus came to tell us. The real God is still setting a place at the table for you. And he hasn't made a sewing room out of your bedroom either. <laughs> and this morning, because we are tender toward our mothers, he is just hoping you're tender enough to know that he will never, ever quit 
drawing you home until you're at your place at the table. <laughs>